0: Good morning, friends. Uh, This message is being recorded in the friendly confines. I have a kind of a rare off Sunday, but I'll be back in the saddle of the next uh, two or three, four weeks preaching different places. Today's message is going to be kind of uh, in-your-face kind of a message. I've titled it, I Shouldn't Be Sharing This, but... The text I've chosen is James chapter 4 verses 11 and 12. It says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. This, The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Well, the question is, what exactly does James have in mind? Well, when he says, do not speak evil, he uses a Greek word that is a combination of two other words, one meaning against and the other meaning to speak. Our English phrase, put down, perfectly captures the meaning. It is sometimes translated as slander or criticize, and related words would be things like vilify, gossip, or belittle. Now, sometimes we use the expression bad-mouth as in don't bad-mouth your friends or nobody wants to hire a person who bad-mouths their former boss. But James adds an important qualifier. We must not speak evil against one another. And the Greek word translated brother means one born from the same womb. In other words, because we share a common spiritual heritage, we owe it to our brothers and sisters in Christ to treat them with courtesy. James doesn't mean to limit this only to Christians. He he is saying, be kind to fellow believers, but it's okay to badmouth everyone else. Now, he's not saying that. That's obviously wrong. But his words remind us that we owe a debt of love to those who share our faith in Jesus. We must not spread rumors. We must assume the best and not the worst. We must be silent if we cannot be kind. We must not rejoice when fellow believers fall into sin. We must not rejoice in exposing their weaknesses. We must not share things that are better left unsaid. We must not lie to prove our point. We must not exaggerate the faults of others. And we must not tell the truth to injure other people. Now, if we say we never do this, we're lying to ourselves. I mean, after all, we love to talk about other people, to evaluate them, to discuss what they say and do and how they dress and who they hang out with. We talk about how they treat uh, each other, uh, how they raise their kids, how much money they have or don't have, or why they got a divorce or why he can't hold a job or why she got fired or how the pastor is losing his touch and on and on and on it goes. This has special application to life in the local church because we're dealing with fallible people who make many mistakes. We don't have to look very hard to find someone doing something that irritates us. This is especially true when controversy comes. I mean, how easy it is to impute bad motives to those who disagree with us. After all, we're doing the Lord's work, or so we think. It kind of happens like this. The whisperer pulls you into a room and says, I hate to share this, but I must. See, he's sorry to be the bearer of bad news about a mutual friend. After spreading the story, though, they beg you to keep it confidential. And meanwhile, they walk to another room or another office and share it with someone else. Social media also encourages critical comments because criticism draws attention. I mean, do you want more likes on your Facebook post or more retweets? All we have to do is make a catty comment or offer a clever retort or even use foul language. Bad news outsells good news. Harsh words make headlines a fact our politicians even exploit to their benefit. That's our world. Become a verbal assassin and watch your stock rise. Now we can say it shouldn't be this way, especially among Christians, and that would be true, but we are not exempt from the temptation to be unkind. William Barclay uh, points out that few sins are so thoroughly condemned in the Bible as gossip and slander and evil speech. Romans chapter 1 verse 30 classifies slanderers as next to the haters of God. I mean, search the Bible from cover to cover. Not one good word is spoken about gossip or rumor mongering or evil speech, critical comments, backbiting, ugly talk. And yet few things are more enjoyable than a bit of gossip. But remember, few things are so completely condemned. James goes on to give us two reasons why it's wrong to be a verbal assassin. And reason number one, you break God's law. Verse 11 says, The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. See, the argument goes like this. One, you slander your brother. Two, God said to love your brother. Three, you therefore act as if what God says doesn't matter. And four, you have judged the law by judging your brother. Let me give you an example. Suppose you're in a hurry to get home after a busy day, and while driving you come to a work zone with a sign telling you that the speed limit is 25 miles per hour. Well, you look around, you see no insight, so you just cruise along at 55. Now, that's foolish and dangerous because there may be workers you have not seen. You might get stopped and given a ticket. But that's not the point. By going 30 miles over the speed limit, you're judging that the law does not apply to you. Because you're tired and in a hurry, you disregard the law and you act as if it doesn't matter. You're saying, the law is stupid. I don't have to obey it. And that's exactly what James is talking about. Every foolish remark, every critical comment, every unkind tweet is a way of proclaiming, I can say what I want, Because God's law doesn't apply to me. Verbal assassins attack because they think they can get away with it. But James offers a second reason to take this warning seriously. And reason number two is you're usurping God's authority. Verse 12 says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? We I mean, note the reason James gives. He said, there is only one lawgiver. Now, in theory, we all agree. We understand that there is one God who reigns supreme because he created all things. One who made the universe makes the rules that govern the universe. His sovereignty is unrivaled. His authority is unquestioned. His will is unchanging. His record is unblemished. His steps are untraceable. His wisdom is unparalleled. His power is unending, his words are unprecedented, his kingdom is unstoppable. Because he is God, he does what he pleases, and no one can persuade him to change his mind. When he sets the stars in the sky, nobody can alter their path. When he makes a declaration, no one can veto his plans. James wants us to think about God in superlative terms. The bigger our God, the more we will appreciate what he says and does. See, he alone gives life. He alone takes life. He alone can save. He alone can destroy. And when you criticize, you're saying, I know better than God does. The judging here is the kind condemned by Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. I mean, it's sinful judging that virtually puts us in the place of God. We can judge words and deeds, but we can't judge the heart. We can know what a person does, but we can't know with certainty why they did it. Only God can peer into the hidden recesses of the heart to judge motives with unerring accuracy. Now, sometimes I hear Christians being very careless about passing judgments on certain politicians they don't like. It just runs rampant on Facebook. We live in angry times, there's no doubt about it. It kind of feels like the national blood pressure has gone up 100 points in the last few years. See, it's easy to listen to a leader you don't like and quickly declare that so-and-so can't possibly be a Christian. Now, to be clear about it, it is perfectly possible to claim to be a Christian and yet not know the Lord. But that warning is not given so we will judge politicians we don't like. The warning is given so we will judge ourselves. Make sure you know the Lord. Let God take care of that politician. It's not my job or your job to determine who goes to heaven. That's God's job. As someone once said, you and I are in sales, not administration. In William Manchester's biography of General General Douglas MacArthur, the book is called American Caesar, he quotes from a speech uh, MacArthur made in September of 1945 at the surrender of the Japanese forces on the USS Missouri. Now buried in that speech are these prophetic words regarding the future of war in an atomic age. He said, Quote, we have had our last chance. If we do not now devise some greater and more equitable system, Armageddon will be at our door. The problem, basically, is theological. It involves a spiritual recrudescence and improvement of human character that will synchronize with our almost matchless advances in science, art, literature, and all material and cultural developments of the past 2,000 years. It must be of the Spirit if we are to save the flesh." End of quote. Now these words seem to be as true today as they were 73 years ago, and I was struck by the phrase, "The problem, basically, is theological." Now what causes hatred between nations? I mean, why do we brag and strut and threaten to rain destruction on each other? Why do the nations rage? For that matter, why do marriages break up? Why do families fall apart? Why do churches split? I mean, why can't we all get along? The problem is basically theological. That's precisely the point James is making. We attack each other because we've abandoned God. We hate each other because we do not respect the Ten Commandments. We speak evil against each other because we think we know better than God. We think we can edit the Bible. I mean, should any of that surprise us? I mean, after all, what was the first temptation? The serpent whispered to Eve, you will be like God. It's no wonder she ate the fruit. It's no wonder Adam followed. We all want to be like God. We all want to run our own little corner of the universe. Friends, when you decide to play God, you can say anything you want. You can treat people like dirt. You can attack their motives. You can make absurd accusations. You can write anything you like on Facebook. You can stir up a tweet storm and you can post anonymous criticism. And why not? When you're God, no one can tell you what to do. That's the whole point of this passage. It's amazing how all roads lead back to the same question. The question is this Who's going to be God today? If you're going to be God, the rest of us better take cover because you can justify anything you say. You can spew venom and destroy your friends, drag down your pastor, blow up your favorite ministry, and leave a trail of bitter tears in your wake. But that's not all. If you're going to be God, you can do whatever you want and walk away laughing because you have justified yourself in your own mind. You answer to no one. That's what's at stake in this passage. So ask yourself, who's going to be God today? If God is God, then there will be no room for bitter words because you respect the Lord. You'll hold your tongue because you believe vengeance belongs to the Lord. You'll be careful with your words because you know the Lord hears everything. You'll pause before posting snarky comments because you don't want to judge someone unfairly. We all struggle with the sin of speaking evil because it doesn't seem like a great sin to us. And it is, after all, so easy to excuse. I was tired. Well, friends, we're all tired. It was her fault. Well, then let the Lord deal with her. Well, what I said was the truth. But, friend, you said it so harshly. Well, they had it coming. Well, who appointed you the Lord's avenger? Well, this needed to be said. Well, maybe it did, but why say it in such angry tones? Well, I'm just doing God's work. Are you sure about that? Yes, friends, truth must be spoken. Rebukes must be given. Crimes must be punished. Sinful behavior must be confronted. Troublemakers need to be dealt with. The wolf in sheep's clothing must be exposed. And Jesus used extremely strong language when he confronted the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Sometimes we're going to have to say things other people don't want to hear. Even when we speak with thoughtfulness, our words may seem harsh. This passage isn't telling us to keep silent in the face of evil, but we must not return evil for evil in the way we speak, or we have descended to the level of those we criticize. It's hard to find the right balance between grace and truth. We all tend to fall off the fence on one side or the other. But that's why we need the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 5. Hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You know, it's always easy to see a speck in your brother's eye and much harder to see a log in your own. When we deal with the faults of others, our greatest need is for sharp vision. I mean, we must see clearly. and We can't do so until we remove the impediment from our own eyes. To simply look on the sins of others is vain and empty and wrong. It turns us into Pharisees who are quick to condemn. But see, once we've cleansed and humbled ourselves in the Lord, then we're ready to remove the speck from a brother's eye. And he'll be glad for us to do it because he knows we are not there to condemn, but rather to help. If we are hasty with our words, we can cause more harm than good. And there's a difference between someone who loves you and wants to help you and someone who wants to put you under a microscope only to find fault with all you do. In my ministry, i found that those most critical of others tend to have the most sins in their lives. Those closest to God tend to be the most charitable. They're the quickest to forgive, quickest to uh, restore, and the quickest to help someone who is struggling with their sin. If we stand back and think about this passage, it should lead us to a simple conclusion, and it's this. We must be careful and cautious when we speak and post and tweet and share Think before you speak. Pray before you speak. Pause before you speak. Say nothing about others that you would not want them to say about you. Say nothing about others that you would not say in their presence. And most of all, say nothing about others that you would not say if Jesus were standing by your side. Now, friends, it's easy to think a message like this does not apply to us. Or we think it applies a little, but we know someone who needs this a lot more than we do. Perhaps it would be helpful if you shared this message with someone and asked them how much of this applies to me. That's risky, but it also puts you on the path to spiritual growth. Friends, we will never control our tongue on our own. That's why we need Jesus to help us. We need the Lord living in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit and not only living in us, but through us. For he alone can tame the tongue. And replace the smell of brimstone with the fragrance of heaven. And now, until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.